everyone, and welcome back to another season of Last Chair, the Ski Utah podcast. I'm your host, Tom Kelly. Happy to have everybody back again for season five. We have a great lineup of guests coming to you over the next couple of months. And as usual, a big thanks to Utah's own Pixie and the Partygrass Boys for kicking things off once again this year. A big welcome back to our sponsor, High West, Utah's first legal distillery since 1870. High West is passionate about crafting delicious and distinctive whiskeys and helping people appreciate whiskey all in the context of our home right here in the American West. When you're in Utah, visit one of High West's locations in Park City and nearby Wanship. I'm really happy to welcome a new episode sponsor for Last Chair, the Utah Avalanche Center. UAC provides avalanche forecasting, safety awareness, and education covering mountains across the state from the LaSalle's and Moab up through the Wasatch Range and all the way up to Logan. Check them out at utahavalanchecenter.org and download the mobile app to get the latest forecasts right at your fingertips. All of us are still dreaming about the more than 900 inches of snow that fell here in the Wasatch last winter. And we're kicking off this season of last year with a visit to the training center for the U.S. ski and snowboard teams up in Park City, the USANA Center of Excellence. I had an opportunity to sit down with U.S. ski and snowboard president and CEO Sophie Goldschmidt to talk about the team, its national training center right here in Utah, and the business of raising millions of dollars each year to support our U.S. athletes. Sophie came to the team two years ago, just in time for a crazy pandemic Olympics in Beijing. A passionate skier herself, she brought a strong business background in sport, having worked in global roles with Adidas, the World Tennis Association, the NBA, where she was managing director for Europe, the Middle East, and Africa, and ran the World Surf League. She's brought that diverse package of knowledge to U.S. ski and snowboard and settled in quite well in her new home in Utah. So let's head up to Park City and the USANA Center of Excellence for this last chair episode with Sophie Goldschmidt to kick off the season. Today we are in one of the coolest locations I think we've been in for last chair with Sophie Goldschmidt, the president and CEO of U.S. Ski and Snowboard. We're in the Center of Excellence, the USANA Center of Excellence today. What an amazing place to work. Yeah, I have to say it's pretty inspiring every day when I walk in through the doors. Normally I get in pretty early, but we've normally got a few athletes and uh, and staff already in here training away, trying to improve their skills. So yeah, I feel very privileged to call this my office. Now, this is a busy time of year. I mean, things are just getting underway. Uh, Your season is pretty much here. It is. We're underway. We just uh, finished our first stop on the season in Kerr, Solden coming up and lots to look forward to. I mean, every weekend is packed with different events, both in Europe, a few in Asia, and we've got more World Cup events than ever before in the US as well, which I'm super excited about. Is the tension a little bit higher this time of year? I was down on the uh, training floor here at the Center of Excellence and a lot of athletes working out, but is, you know, can you can you kind of feel that anticipation of the season? I feel more tense. I mean, I I like the competitive juices are flowing, you know, all the hard work that's gone in over the last few months. Now we're going to put it to the test and see how much it's paid off and and how much these athletes have improved. But look, there's also always a great spirit of sort of joy and just appreciation and the camaraderie that you get down on the the gym floor. But uh, yeah, the, the pressure's just around the corner. 
Well, that's what we're all here for. You know, it's it's a competitive sport. Let's talk about the USANA Center of Excellence. This has been a remarkable facility located right here in Utah. Give us a little introduction to the building that we're in. Yeah, I mean, it's been now in existence for for well over a decade, and it's an amazing facility for us to have. Now over half of our athletes are based in the Park City area, and you know, it's no secret that when you can get top athletes training together more regularly, it helps to push performance. I think it makes it more enjoyable. Yes, of course, they want their alone time and and downtime because they have such long, hard competitive seasons. But to have a facility like this only encourages more of them to come here. We're um, very fortunate to have USANA as a, the partner of it that makes this all all possible. And this summer, we've had more athletes training out of here than we've had in, in years. Strategically, it was something that Anuka chief our chief of sport and I sort of worked on leading into the off season. We wanted to get our teams here more regularly. It's great for those individual teams. And then just to see the cross pollination of ideas and culture sharing and just yeah, sharing kind of the the joys and ambition that they all have amongst our teams. I think it's been really fun to see that collaboration and see that evolve. I want to come back to that in just a minute, but first, just when you walk through the floor, it's like going through any gym. It's like going to a Planet Fitness in a way, but it, it, it what what I'm sure is going on is there's a lot of science going on behind the machines. And people would recognize the treadmills and the different strength machines, but there's a lot of science going on behind this. Oh, for sure. So our high performance department is run by Julian Bauer. We have a high number of staff downstairs, both on the medical side and then the sort of training high performance side who are working tirelessly day in, day out with these athletes, both on an individual basis and on a team basis. And you're right, there's a lot of very high tech gear down there as well. For those of you that might have the chance to come and please come check out this center of excellence. We we open it up um, from time to time. You'd recognize a lot of the machines, but a lot of the machines you would never have seen before because they've been very bespokely developed to help our athletes with specific needs and areas that we're trying to improve. So yeah, it's, there's all sorts of gadgets down there, hopefully making us faster having even more endurance, helping the athletes to jump higher. I was actually just downstairs. We've got a trampolining session going on at the moment with our free ski athletes, helping them just dynamically and to become better, better in the air, which is important for, for everyone. For an athlete today, there's a lot that goes into it. How much knowledge do the athletes carry with them on the science behind what their training's doing and how it's preparing them physically and also mentally for the season ahead? Are they all pretty knowledgeable about this now as as young athletes? Yeah, I would say the baseline knowledge um, is very strong and kind of improves every year by what we're sharing and just um, sort of their, their level of interest. And like you said, sort of the breadth of what it takes now to be truly world-class. There are so many different areas. There's the physicality, there's the mental side of it, there's the nutrition. And if you're not up to speed and doing what you can in all those areas, it's tough to be the best in the world. Having said that, some athletes outside of sort of having a baseline level of knowledge, they kind of go more on instinct. You know, they like to get in the zone and just let things flow. Others really want to micromanage every element of their day. So there are certain aspects that are very sort of individualized and and everyone sort of works slightly differently. But I think the overall level of knowledge and sort of interest that they have is growing as science and technology continues to evolve. They, they, They have to care about it to really be able to apply in the most effective way to them. 
Let's take an athlete in particular, Jesse Dickens, the cross-country Olympic champion. I was here a short time back in October and saw her training here with the cross-country team. But someone like that who's at really the absolute top end of their sport, she has to have a pretty good bank of knowledge on how to really sense things in her own body and to prepare it to be out there on this grueling three- or four-month tour. Absolutely. I mean, I would say she's just in general, a very thoughtful, very curious athlete. I think also look, as you get more experience in, in your career, you really want to tap into that to be an advantage. So if you've been around for 10, 12 years competing, you know, that can be your special source. Okay. Someone that's new on the circuit has other things. Maybe they have a different drive or energy because it's all new and that excitement. But I think Jesse and Rosie Brennan and, and others, look, we've got a nice balance. We've got some athletes that have been competing for a long time, some that are just on uh, the team for, for the first year. But I think that mix of experience and kind of new energy is, is great. And I think that's where, you know, our coaches and everyone that supports and is around the team, you know, we have a huge support staff supporting the athletes and all sorts of ways and helping to educate them as to how you can tap into this bank of information and knowledge and experience. And when you're in a situation for the first time, okay, it's new, but actually look at the trends, look at the patterns. You've been through something similar before and what, what worked, what didn't work. So I think really optimizing that kind of data and, and history and information is very important. So if you are a national team, so you have athletes who come from all over the country, but you'd like them to come out here to Utah. And I think many of us, yourself included, have now found some of the great benefits of Utah. But what are some of the things that you've done to attract more athletes to make Utah their training base with the USANA Center of Excellence here? Yeah. So look, I, first of all, I, I love living in Utah and in Park City. It certainly exceeded expectations and I had pretty high expectations coming coming into this. To be clear, we don't expect everyone to move to, to Utah, Salt Lake, Park City, but we did think it was important in the off-season and pre-season to have athletes here more regularly. I totally respect that some people want to be back where they grew up with their families, kind of away from, from the team all the time. But, you know, the off-season, it varies by team, but it's between sort of three, four, five months long. And to have them come here more regularly, we felt was really important. We wanted to monitor them more closely for the reasons we've just discussed. We want them to be able to tap into all this experience and resource and knowledge that we have. But we have now had a lot more move into the area, which has been great. They're able to take advantage of the USANA Center of Excellence day in, day out, especially some of those that are rehabbing and coming back from injury, being able to get that literally hour by hour kind of monitoring and, and rehab support, I think it's really key, but it's, it's a mix. I think we need to be flexible and ultimately figure out what's going to work for everyone. And having them spend more time here is great. And I think we've kind of found, found the right balance. It was great. You know, the first couple of times we really kind of required and asked all our athletes to come here. Not everyone kind of bought into it. I think by the second, third camp, they were like, oh yeah, I'm missing out. I, I see the value. And that was kind of the test I put to our team. I want it to be such a great experience that everyone wants to spend more time here. Whether they move here or not, that doesn't matter. But again, tapping into all that knowledge, having our elite athletes train together more often and really pushing each other to achieve new things, I think is, is a big part of what high performance sports all about. And we've got so 
many amazing athletes and teams that it's great to be able to, to have that opportunity to bring them here. So the USANA Center of Excellence is located out at the intersection of State Route 248 and US 40. It's called Quinn's Junction. So it's a little bit on the east side of Park City if you've been here before. You also are literally 20 minutes from the Olympic in Paralympic cross-country venue in Soldier Hollow. You're less than 15 minutes from the Utah Olympic Park with the ski jumps and the freestyle and snowboard training facilities, and you have all of these amazing ski areas. How much of an asset is that for you being here in Park City, Utah? It's huge. I mean, how lucky are we? Yeah, just last week I was out there with our cross-country team who were here for a two-week training camp. We've got athletes that will be coming back here during the season to train at the multiple venues you just mentioned. We're, we're very grateful and, and supportive of our key resort partners, Vale Resorts here at Park City, Deer uh, Valley, which is an Altera resort, like you mentioned, the Utah Olympic Park and that whole legacy group are incredibly important for us and very supportive, as well as the multitude of other resorts around here, Snowbird, Snow Basin, etc. And also another thing that makes this such a favorable place to be located is the airport. You know, there aren't many snow sport areas that are this close to an international airport. So for our area athletes to be able to come back and forth, fly directly to Europe, fly directly to Asia, it's it's really an amazing place to be. I mean, it's, it's the perfect location for us. You know, I can't imagine the number of miles that the athletes and staff rack up every year, but what are you, like 30, 35 <laughs> minutes to the airport yeah, from here? Yeah, 35 minutes door to door with no traffic. And at the moment, touch wood, there isn't often too much traffic. Yeah, having lived in LA before, even though I lived quite close to LAX, it's a lot easier for me to get to Salt Lake City than it ever was to LAX. So, Sophie, let's talk about your own background. Uh, you came into this role at U.S. Ski and Snowboard, maybe a different pathway than others have into the leadership role. But tell us a little bit about your background and how it eventually brought you here to U.S. Ski and Snowboard in Park City, Utah. Yeah. So I guess going back to the beginning, you can probably tell from my accent, I didn't grow up here. I grew up across the pond. Was always very passionate about sports though growing up. I was lucky and had the chance to ski from a young age and play all sorts of sports. Netball, as we call it back over in the UK, hockey, field hockey, and tennis was my real obsession. And I got very into tennis, very focused on it when I was a teenager. And ultimately that's what gave me the opportunity to first sort of properly come to the US. I played college tennis at Baylor in Texas. And from there, that was kind of my first foray into the sports industry. I coached while I was there doing my grad program, which I loved. I kind of thought actually that was maybe the path I was going to go down. But then I got an internship at Adidas and that opened my eyes to sort of sports marketing. And it was a dream role working in tennis and soccer, a great education and entree. And then from there, I went to work in basketball for the NBA. I worked in rugby and ran the Rugby World Cup in 2015. I then worked for a group holding company and sports marketing and entertainment that had a bunch of different agencies that I oversaw. And then before taking on this role, I moved to LA um, to run the World Surf League, which is the global professional surfing tour. And now I'm here. So I've been here almost two years and it's been quite a whirlwind. I've had a very steep learning curve, but I've, I've loved it. And I'm very passionate about our sports. It was a big reason that I took the role. I was looking to do something different where I could kind of be out of my comfort zone, but have confidence that I was going to make a real impact as well. So certainly learning a lot on the sports side and just love being around all of our high performance staff, our chief of sport, our sports 
sport directors, coaches who just work tirelessly with our amazing athletes. And then as if I can put it sort of on the business side, the, the commercial marketing, communications, financial side of the business is something I'm much closer to and have had a lot of deep experience in running organizations and and managing different as- aspects of of the business side of our organization which has been very fulfilling and we've we've made quite a few changes which are, I think are really bedding in well and people have been very open minded to look in some areas it is kind of incrementally just continuing to do more the set of the same at a higher level in some other areas I felt we had to make some more fundamental changes to really kind of cut through and take things to to the next level so yeah that that journey is is underway. And it will always be underway. It's yeah. never ending. I, we're going to, I'll get back to ski and snowboarding here in a minute, but I want to explore your work for the NBA. If I'm not mistaken, you worked for NBA in Europe. Is that right? Correct. So I started out in New York in the headquarters in Manhattan, and then I moved back to um, London. We actually moved a lot of our international operations to the UK. So I looked after Europe, Middle East, and, and Africa. And at a pretty exciting time where the NBA was taking games overseas, I bought our first ever regular season games to London. We did a lot of preseason games around EMEA, as we call it, Europe, Middle East, Africa, and Asia. And Sorry, Europe, Middle East, and Africa. We opened our first offices in various parts of, of those continents. And uh, yeah, it was amazing experience. It was when David Stern was still alive. He was a big proponent of international growth. I had the chance to work very closely with him and also actually with the current commissioner, Adam Silver, who were both very supportive of sort of the international expansion and what great people to, to learn from. I, I certainly learn a lot from them. I was really curious, you know, what is it like to sell a sport, sport that's huge here in America, but to sell it into a new market where it's different culture and, you know, different perspectives on sport? What was that challenge like? Yeah, it was it was fascinating. I mean, to your point, and it's different in every market. I mean, the NBA as an entertainment brand was often bigger than it as a sort of basketball high performing sports league. In the UK, for example, it was about the hip hop and the music and that lifestyle crossover. In France, we had nine French players in the NBA. So they were all about high performance basketball. They had a great national team. They had a strong league. The same in Turkey. We went to the Middle East for the first time, took players to Dubai and Qatar. And and that was a real eye opener. Africa, a lot of our athletes were very focused on giving back in Africa, really wanted to crack through there. Soccer had sort of dominated. So we took our first ever athletes over there. They now have a league in in Africa. And I hired our first uh, managing director of, of that region who reported into me. So yeah, it was fascinating time. And to your point, I mean, it certainly wasn't a one size fits all approach. Every market, we had to take a slightly different strategy to the market to, to be successful. Do you think about that? And I'm, I'm kind of using this in reverse now where Ski racing and many aspects of ski racing have often been considered to be Eurocentric and bringing that sport to America. You were new to this. You've been in the role for for two years right now. But are there things that you learned there that transcend over to what you're doing now to help sell the sport of skiing, sports of skiing and snowboarding here in America? Definitely. I think not just in my MBA time, actually working in tennis too, which is very global and, and very big in some markets, less so in others. I think, yeah, a lot of relevant sort of examples that I've been able to sort of tap into and experience that I can sort of bring to the fore, how you can sort of break through, think out the box, how can you grow grow the profile of these athletes, which they deserve, but selfishly for us, there's nothing that helps sort of increase participation and interest in our sports by having more globally recognized stars as well. How can we be more inclusive? How can we 
ensure that even if you don't live near a mountain, you still care about what's happening. How do we educate people that we're not just Olympic sports? We have year round World Cup schedules and actually winning a globe is almost as important as anything. I mean, we love a gold medal from the Olympics for sure, but actually who's the best athlete week in, week out over a four to five months period really determines the best athletes in the world. So yeah, it's been fun to sort of figure out how we can better educate the market on our sports and how we can, you know, tactically put some new things in place to make it more understandable and easier to relate and follow follow our athletes and, and teams. We're going to talk about some of those stars of the sport here in just a minute, but just give the listeners a little bit of a 411 on what U.S. Ski and Snowboard is as an Olympic sports governing body. So we are the governing body for uh, the majority of snow sports in the U.S. We now have 10 different sports that we oversee. Within those sports, they have multiple disciplines. So, for example, in, in Alpine, which is one of our 10, we have downhill, super giant, GS, giant slalom and slalom skiers. Some do multiple disciplines, some just focus on on one. In freestyle, for example, we have moguls and aerials. So we have a number of different sports. The most recently added sports that we've taken on board are our para-alpine and snowboard team, which we're super proud of. Quite a long way back, um, they used to sit within our organization and then they went over to the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee and, and we brought them back earlier this summer, which has been awesome. So we're going through that integration and transition at the moment. So we have over 240 athletes that we fully support on an annual um, basis from the development level right up to the best in the world. And we help them achieve their dreams. Let's talk a little bit about the transition to bring para back to U.S. Ski and Snowboard. Literally, your next-door neighbor is the National Ability Center, one of the greatest uh, Paralympic training centers uh, and actually adaptive sports centers in, in the country. Give us a little introduction to, to para sport and why this should be so important for us. Yeah, I mean, to me, it was a no-brainer. I, I sort of wrongly assume when I started this role that it was part of our world. It is part of many national governing bodies. And for various reasons, we hadn't had it within sort of our organization for a while. But it, it made sense for a bunch of reasons. We want to be more inclusive. We need to be more inclusive. These athletes have a lot of similarities with our other teams and, and other athletes. We want to help them also achieve our, our dreams and really collaborate and learn from each other. So the timing was just right, right for us. And the organization was very open to it. So we had a, a really good transition process with the U.S. OPC. And uh, yeah, look, we've still got a long way to go. We've hired a sport director. We're getting the coaches in place. The athletes have been very patient with us because ultimately we want to do the best for them, but it takes time to get everything right. And and we've got a lot, lot to learn. But uh, yeah, I'm really excited about how it's started and, and where we can get to. When you see them on the training floor here at the USANA Center of Excellence, do you sense a special spirit about them and what they're trying to accomplish? as much as any of our athletes i mean it's a, as expected they just integrate with each other yeah look they have some disabilities which they're sort of overcoming in my mind in superhuman ways i mean it's quite incredible what they can do on the slopes and uh, yeah we're just very proud to have them be part of our organization I want to just quickly run down some of the stars of the sport. And I know you have a lot of them. You have 10 different sport programs, so hard to keep track of all of them. But just to go down each of the sports, Alpine, you have one really big superstar right now. 
Yeah, our goat, Michaela Schifrin, who had just the most incredible season last year. I mean, it was sort of towards the end of the season, every race she was breaking another record and just an incredible person as well. The ultimate role model who gives back more than anyone might imagine. So yeah, super proud of her and very fortunate to have her on our team. You know, I think what you said about her being the role model, I and mean, one of the things that's always struck me about Michaela is that what everybody sees, that's the real person. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we talk a lot about role models in sport and for sure there are for others, but um, having worked around a lot of the greatest athletes of the last sort of 20 years across my various roles, you know, people sometimes talk about risk with athletes and associating with them. There is no risk with Michaela. I mean, what you see is what you get. And actually there's a lot more behind the scenes. I mean, her, her thoughtfulness, her attention to detail, her professionalism, you know, of course you expect that, you know, when she's training, but it's the other things that I think really make her stand out as well. In cross-country skiing, this is and this is actually a sport that I grew up working in years ago, and it was a sport that we just never really had that success. That has now changed, hasn't it? Yeah, Jesse Diggins. And by the way, before we skip from um, Michaela, Michaela, who clearly leads the way in Alpine, but pretty exciting, the talent that we've got coming up and and some of the talent that's been around for a while that's continuing to break through. So we'll come back more to that. But yeah, shifting to to cross country, Jesse had a fantastic season last year, won our work first world championship gold and continues just to go from, from strength to strength and has kind of created momentum in our cross country program that we've never had before. And we were very close to finishing top three in the world. We had multiple athletes podium. We had the best under 23 male cross country skier in the world. And the future looks very bright. Having been out with them a couple of weeks ago, I could just see how they're, they're pushing the boundaries in the next generation that's coming through. We had the next level of sort of development athletes from a lot of the top clubs and other programs in the country here. And, you know, there's dozens of them. It's not just a handful like it was in the past. We've got dozens for them, of them vying to be on our team. And that surely is going to sort of bode very well for the future. Now, this is something that applies across all sports. But when you have those star athletes like Jesse, like Mikhail, and some of the others we're going to talk about, they really do breed success from the younger athletes coming up, don't they? They do, especially if they're willing to engage and train and sort of include them in their sort of ecosystem, which both these two do. In fact, you know, all of our athletes do. There's a really neat sort of camaraderie and wanting to give back and care about a legacy in the next generation, which I'm trying to tap into more and more. I think it's sort of invaluable for our athletes and teams. Let's move on over to freestyle. Freestyle is a sport that has had quite a heritage of success. And right now you've got a couple of great stars. And and what do you look at in freestyle now, in moguls and aerials? Yeah, well, in moguls, we're stacked. We've got a lot of great athletes, especially on the women's side. Jalen Koff leading the way, but we have multiple other female athletes that that have podiumed and doing very well. The same on the men's side, Nick Page leading the way there, but Cole McDonald and Dylan Maslini and various others really um, breaking through. And then on the aerial side, look, we've had some of the best athletes for a few years now with Ashley Caldwell leading the way and then obviously winning the team gold with Chris and, and Justin. And now a young star who really broke out last year, Quinn Dellinger, who we're super excited about. He's definitely pushing some of those that have been around for a while. But again, with a great sort of 
team camaraderie and it's just yeah fun to see them working together the, the freestyle team moguls and aerials they're here a lot over the summer so you get to interact a lot with them they're a really tight-knit bunch and uh, yeah let's see what what they can do this season a lot of utah names in that group too yes certainly are yeah a lot of those are are based here. The training facilities at the UOP are so good for those programs with the the ramps and, and the pool work that they do in the summer. That's, yeah, a real advantage for us. So hence a lot of them being based in the area. There's a great heritage in snowboard that goes back to the early competitive days of the sport. Sean White has now retired, but there's still plenty coming up behind. Yeah. Still rumors he might come back again. But I, I've I heard know. that. <laughs> he's He's got a lot on his plate. But uh, yeah, the next generation is looking very good. Um, we almost kind of skipped maybe a few years of having quite as much young talent. So we've made a few changes in our snowboard program. We have a new sport director, Ricky Bauer, who's doing a great job. But we still have some standout athletes with Chloe Kim leading the way. She's back training this year. She's been doing some amazing work in Sasfe. I heard from a couple of weeks ago a few new tricks up her sleeve that no one's ever seen before, which is pretty awesome already. And Maddie Mastro, who's had some tough injuries, but again, you know, year in, year out shows that she can podium regularly and is right up there with the best, best in the world. So yeah, snowboard is, is looking particularly strong as well as we go into to this year. And then on the free ski side too, I mean, we've had an amazing heritage of success there, especially on the men's side, fantastic depth led by Alex Hall and Colby Stevenson, both Utah skiers. So spend a lot of time here, but They've just sort of created an ambition and a culture, which is very, very strong. I often talk about our free ski culture. We have a new sport director there, Skogan Sprang, who was our head coach for many years. So he's just doing more of the same. We've won over 30% of the available Olympic medals since free skiing has been around, which is pretty awesome. But it's getting more competitive. The other countries are picking up the pace. So we've got to keep pushing it and, and trying new things. Just to go back to Chloe, Chloe Kim for a second, might we see her competing this year? Yeah, I think she will Yeah, compete in, in some events to be determined which ones, but I, I'd be surprised if she doesn't do at least a couple of events this year. We talked about the para program earlier, both in uh, Alpine Snowboard. Any names you want to throw out there? Yeah, look, that's a long list too. We've got, you know, multiple athletes that are part of the program. I guess a couple that jump out, Andrew Kirker has been on a great role and yeah, super excited to see what more he's going to achieve. Zach Miller, SB winner this year with Michaela, which was amazing to have two of them take home an SB and and he's also done some superhuman things and been very successful and both young. I mean, they've still got years ahead of them and, and quite a few following in their footsteps. And like you say, with the National Ability Center right next door, which again is sort of another no-brainer as to why we would be now integrating para into our, our organization. We're with Sophie Goldschmidt, the president and CEO of U.S. Ski and Snowboard. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back on Last Chair. We all know how Utah is blessed with amazing snowfall, over 900 inches last year in Little Cottonwood Canyon. And as enticing as that powder can be, it also comes with its share of danger. And that's why the Utah Avalanche Center has become a friend of skiers and riders. Whether you head out into the backcountry regularly or you just look for your powder stashes at the resorts. The Utah Avalanche Center provides forecasting, awareness, and education across the state. 
Its popular Know Before You Go program has been educating skiers and riders across the nation with an easily accessible online program. The first step in staying safe is building awareness, knowing that you need the education. And the Utah Avalanche Center is there to help. And once you have the education, you need the forecast. And again, the Utah Avalanche Center has the tools that you need. Check out the UAC website at utahavalanchecenter.org and register for preseason classes. Also, gear up with the UAC mobile app for daily forecasts that will help you assess the danger and plan a safe day for you and your friends. That's utahavalanchecenter.org, your first stop for staying safe this winter. Now let's get back to the USANA Center of Excellence in Park City with Sophie Goldschmidt. We're back on last chair today. We're at the USANA Center of Excellence, the training center for U.S. ski and snowboard. And Sophie Goldschmidt, let's take a look ahead at the Olympics. We've got an U of an Olympics coming up in 2026 in Milan Cortina and it's just getting pretty close. A couple seasons away. Uh, what are you thinking? Yeah, look, it's it's around the corner and also we've still got sort of two and a half years to go. So it, it is one step at a time, that old adage, not to be too boring. But yeah, from a sort of a peaking standpoint, definitely something that high performance staff and coaches kind of think about. Also the next generation, how quickly you want to bring them through. But no, I think that we compete a lot in Cortina on the Alpine side and have had other sports events there over the years. I think the Italians are going to put on a great show. Hopefully we don't have COVID to sort of distract us. And uh, yeah, look, it's going to be here before we know it, but we're kind of focused on the races and then events coming up and, and this season. So it is it is one step at a time. Do you, I think those of us as fans, you know, we kind of look out to that and, you know, it's going to come up in 2026 and we'll watch it on NBC, but does it really factor into your athletic preparation now, two years out? Is that something that's on a timeline that you're following? Yeah, it is. We sort of, we do plan on the Olympic quad sort of period, but, but it is for us incremental game. You know, it's one step at a time. We want to continue to build that momentum and, and progress. But yeah, testing different technologies, different trading periodization kind of techniques and schedules so that we know how we can have people ideally peak at the right time is something that the team are constantly working on. We mentioned Anouk earlier before, your chief of sport. Talk a little bit about who she is and what she's brought to the whole high performance planning yeah, so she has been awesome for the organization. I'm I'm very glad that she accepted the role. She was on our World Cup Alpine team a few years back. And then as she went into a very different career in investment banking, consulting, and most recently in technology, but having senior leadership roles in some very big organizations, but it always stayed very close to our organization and our sports and is very passionate about elite sports. So I felt we needed some different thinking, some different sort of professionalism, people that were going to push the boundaries, that were going to hold us all to account in a slightly different way. And and she ticked all those those boxes. And she started not long after me and has made a real impact. She's built fantastic relationships and credibility, I believe, with the coaches and, and sports and high performance staff and as importantly with the athletes. So yeah, I'm thrilled, thrilled to have her on board and she's certainly making her mark. Let's take a little bit of a longer lead look at Olympics. Salt Lake City, Utah is bidding on the 2030 or 2034 Olympics. What would that mean for U.S. ski and snowboard if those games came back here to Utah? It's a game changer. Sort of almost since day one on the job when I really understood the 
opportunity and likelihood. I'm all in. We're all in to helping however we can. Cat Fraser and the team in in winning another Winter Olympic Games in 30 or 34. I'd love it in 30. Maybe 34 is a little more likely because it's it's tougher than a 28 to have probably back to back games politically with the IOC. But I'm not sure there's anything really that could move the needle more than sort of the build up to home Olympics. And hopefully they will announce both 30 and 34 at the same time. That's to be determined. But yeah, very motivated to do whatever we can to help help the games come back to Utah. From an events perspective, Utah has always been a, a, a big focal point for U.S. ski and snowboard. What's the big event you've got coming up this winter? Well, we've got so many. We have a lot of races around the U.S. Here in Park City, we love our Intermountain Health Deer Valley event where you can come see our moguls and aerials athletes. We're bringing our first cross-country World Cup to Minneapolis, first cross-country World Cup in 20 years. First time Jesse's competed on home soil and it's going to be on the outskirts of downtown Minneapolis, which I think is going to be amazing. We're also bringing a moguls event to Waterville, which is the home of freestyle. And that is on top of what we have at Birds of Prey. We kick off our domestic World Cup season at in Killington with the Stiefel Killington Cup. We also have events in Palisades and Aspen. So it's a full schedule and that's on top of all our NORAM and RevTour and, and other events. So, so yeah, the season's certainly going to be busy, but bringing more major events to this market has been a real focus for us. We, we believe it helps participation. Home field advantage is real. It does exist. We feel it inspires the next generation of athletes. The number of our athletes that have told me that they got involved because they saw their hero competing live up close in person here. And then commercially and for our broadcast partners, it gives them another reason to partner with us. And ultimately, while we are a not-for-profit, we don't shy away. We want to make as much money as possible so that we can invest in our programs, in our athletes, and help more people fall in love and participate in our sports. I want to get back in a minute and talk a little bit more about the Deer Valley Freestyle World Cup, but just on a more of a global perspective, I know one of your big international initiatives has been to get more elite level events into the United States. So you have that broadcast and you have that showcase of your athletes to, to future generations. How important has that been? I mean, you've got a record number of events coming to America this year. Yeah, it's been very important. Strategically, when I joined, I just I saw it as an opportunity. Fists were open-minded to it. I think they see that there's an opportunity for them to really crack the US a little bit, maybe like F1 and others have done. I mean, it's such a big market. We also have some amazing athletes. So we've kind of got that to back it up as well. So yeah, look, timing is everything. We're not the only ones wanting more events. We're battling the Europeans and other markets. But yeah, really pleased with the progress we've made. And hopefully... Look, it's not an unlimited number we can add because they're a big expense. You know, it's an investment from us as well. But hopefully over the next year or two, we can add a, a couple more. To bring it back to Utah, the Deer Valley event sponsored by Intermountain Health is just a remarkable spectator experience. And I know that for the athletes, it's like a highlight for them to compete against these, these fans. Kind of share with the listeners what that experience is like at the Deer Valley World Cup. Yeah, it's it's pretty magical. It's as great of an experience as any event I've been to so far. 
and it's at the sort of the base of the mountain. So you've got kind of almost a captive amphitheater kind of environment. The Moguls Hill and the Ariels Hill are just beautifully designed and you get to see the whole, the whole run. In addition to that, it's at night, so it's floodlit. So it just looks beautiful. And the Deer Valley, Park City, local Salt Lake City, Salt Lake City area crowd really come out to support it. Look, one of the reasons we don't have that many events in the state snow sports events. So this is a really special sort of date on the calendar that I know everyone looks forward to. And and Deer Valley just do a spectacular job hosting it as well. So, so yeah, I can't wait. First to the 3rd of February, mark your calendars. Everyone's welcome. It's a great event. Let's just talk about, as we close this out, how can the public engage with you? How can they be a part of helping support the success of your athletes? Yeah, look, it's a big focus for us. And we have so many amazing stories to tell, so many events to follow that it can be quite hard to to sort of figure out what's on when, especially when some of them are in Europe coming in in the middle of the night. But we have some fantastic broadcast partners outside media. So if you subscribe to Outside Plus, you can catch every one of our domestic events live and VOD. They also will be showing some of our European events in addition to NBC, who showed both domestic and European. And then there's another platform called Ski and Snowboard Live that also shows European events. It's not our event. I know it's confusing with the name. So there is there are plenty of opportunities. But what I would say is go to our social pages, go to our website. Every weekend we will show exactly how you can tune in to watch any of our athletes live that are competing that weekend. So easy. Go to our Instagram page. Go to our website. It's all listed there. A click of a button. It'll take you to where you need to go to watch the events live. So that's on the broadcast front. On the event side, again, we've got multiple events. We tough for people to remember them while they're listening now. But again, go to our website. They're listed every every week during the season, making it really easy for people to know what's going on. And you're all welcome. They're open to the public. They're free. We love to have fan support. It really makes a difference to the athletes. And we've got a busier season than we've ever had before. So yeah, follow us on social, sign up for our newsletters. We also have various fundraising events, which you can do online or you can attend in person. Every bit of support matters, whether it's monetary or just being great fans of our athletes and sports. We really appreciate it. And we we can't do it without the public support in addition to our commercial partners and our very generous donors. When you walk the floor of the USANA Center of Excellence, uh, you see firsthand what your work is doing for them. And the public really needs to be a part of that for this success to happen for these amazing athletes. Yeah, look, we really are in it together. We sort of have a one team mentality across our 240 plus athletes and 10 teams. But we we are America's team. We're Park City's team. We're every ski resort's team. We want people to feel part of our organization. We're trying to be much more inclusive. Anyone that supports our sports or athletes is connected to us and we're very grateful for that. So thank you in advance. The season's obviously underway, but thank you in advance for all of of your support this season. Definitely tune in and you're going to have a lot of fun getting to know and watch your athletes. Sophie, one last section. We're going to go into fresh tracks right now. Just a few final questions for you. What's your favorite participant sport when you're just out to recreate on your own? Yeah, I mean, it, it's skiing at the moment, but I'm going to try more of our sports. I mean, look, I admire them all. I love watching them all. The beauty of being here in sort of the Park City area is you get to see them all. When I'm out on Park City Mountain, I can see our free skiers, our snowboarders, our alpine skiers, those doing moguls and and the same at the other hills are around the area. So yeah, I'm I'm a fan of them all. 
How about your favorite ski run in Utah? That's tough. I mean, I love it when I'm out there again watching our athletes. So Park City Payday, I love. There's so many great runs. Last year with some of the the powder going in and out of the trees was really, really special. I mean, look, last year we had, it seemed like two months, we had a fresh foot of powder every day. Every so day. It was like a dream season. And I actually couldn't even read half the signs because they were just covered in snow the whole time. But yeah, look, there's so many great places. This is the best place to ski in, in the world, I think. While we have so many other amazing resorts that are very supportive of us and I'm forever grateful for, I think, look, living here, we've got how many mountains within an hour hour's drive. It's kind of a, a ski or snowboarder's dream, dream location. It really is. And you're able to break away once in a while to get out there? Occasionally. But look, I love what I do. So I'm I'm kind of constantly engaging with, with anyone that's connected to our community. I feel very fortunate for me, sort of business and pleasure is all intermingled and kind of part of the same these days. Sophie, you've been here for two years. Do you have a favorite opera spot now in Utah? We often like to host people at home. High West, always easy to get to, especially if you're Skiing in Park City, Deer Valley has some great locations as well. So look, being from Europe, I definitely like to do a bit of apres. High West is pretty good. Yeah, so if you can get in. It's it's so busy. Being, so it busy, is busy. It's a nice problem for them to have, but uh, no, that's a great spot. And then finally, and I'm not going to ask you for your favorite moment, but is there, a, is there a moment that you can share with us of athletic success that you've been a part of the last couple of years since you've been leading U.S. Ski and Snowboard that you might want to share? It is really difficult to, to highlight one. I mean, I, just the Olympics overall in Beijing, kind of the highs and lows, the sort of realization of just how many athletes and teams we have and how amazing they are. And just as someone was sort of struggling and disappointed with the result, we had someone else doing something that we didn't think was possible so soon. So if ever there was a sort of a reminder to kind of stay calm literally every hour, sort of the highs and lows of that. Look, I mean, this last season, what Michaela did, I mean, it's you know, once in a generation, if not longer, who knows if those records will ever be broken. I was fortunate enough to be in RA when she tied and then broke Inga Stenmark's record. And that was a very special moment, but there have been many. I, I feel very fortunate to have experienced quite a few in person and I've tuned in to watch a lot of them online and, and live on linear TV as well. Sophie, there's going to be a lot more of those opportunities, I'm sure that. Sophie Goldschmidt, thank you for joining us on Last Chair. Thank you. Pleasure talking to you, TK. Really appreciate it. Thanks again to Sophie Goldschmidt for the invitation to visit the USANA Center of Excellence. It was cool to see the athletes training, preparing for the race season, which is just around the corner. A special thanks to our episode sponsor, Utah Avalanche Center. Click on to utahavalanchecenter.org to sign up for some preseason education or maybe a refresher and download the mobile app to get the latest forecast for this winter. The Ski Utah Last Year podcast is brought to you by High West Distillery. Follow our whiskey adventure on all social media platforms at Drink High West. And remember, sip responsibly. High West Whiskey, 46% alcohol by volume. High West Distillery in Park City, Utah. If you like the Last Chair podcast, share it with a friend and leave us a review. And make sure to subscribe to get every episode delivered directly to you. To close us out, let's welcome back our friends Pixie and the Partygrass Boys. Watch for them on tour this fall and stay tuned for some new music coming out this winter. I'm Tom Kelly for Last Chair, presented by High West. Have fun. It is a great day to ski. Music